Good morning. It's, it's special to be here today. You have a, a neat church, and you're um, a little bit farther north than I usually drive, but I will drive it every time to be with you. Um, our scripture this morning, our Old Testament scripture, comes from the book of Ezekiel, and that is on page 806 if you have a gray Bible. And Fourteen. Hear the word of God. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to those bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and the flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live." I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God. Our New Testament reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And that's 119, page 119 if your Bible is gray, and page 885 if it is black. Hear the word of God. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? 
Perthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, and our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? In our text this morning, the Holy Spirit descends on the gathered church in Jerusalem and rocks their world, touches down like a tornado and spreads like wildfire. Christ had promised in his final days that the Spirit would come, the advocate or the Spirit of truth, to guide us in all things. And 50 days after Passover, after the night of Jesus' arrest, that's what Pentecost means, literally 50th, here she is. She comes in not as a whisper, but as a violent wind. We can only imagine the chaos that follows. Imagine for a moment that you were on the periphery of that crowd. The day that a change came over, the followers of Christ who were gathered. Imagine the, the ripples of noise spiraling outward towards you, getting louder and louder as the people raise their voices in excitement and awe. And then it reaches you. The people around you opened their mouths and speak in languages that maybe even you've never heard before. Languages that they can't possibly know. We call this chaos, this sudden, unexpected outpouring of the Spirit, the birthday of the church. And who is the Holy Spirit? As Christians, as believers and readers of the Holy Scripture, we understand the Holy Spirit to be one of the three persons of God. In the New Testament, we give her many names. Holy Ghost, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Truth, and the Paraclete, or Advocate. In the Nicene Creed, we declare that Jesus himself was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, and we call the Spirit the Lord, the giver of life in that creed. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan, the Spirit descended like a dove from the sky. When a believer comes to Christ today, we say that he or she is born again of the Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is energy, is the force of God, performing divine functions within the Christian and within the church. She also gives each of us gifts. She gives capabilities to each of us to help us participate in what God is doing here and now. You'll note that I have been calling the Spirit she. Maybe you didn't notice. Maybe that's the pronoun that you use to describe the Spirit too. The gender of the Spirit is hotly debated. The Latin and the Greek words associated with Spirit are neuter, so they're neither male nor female. And the Hebrew word, from which um, arguably they both come with references to the Spirit's work in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is feminine. The Catholic Church's position, interestingly, is that the Spirit can be referred to using whatever gender is natural for the culture. So within global Christianity, some cultures have historically understood the Spirit as she, while others have always referred to the Spirit as male. When you think of the Spirit at work within your own life, you can use whatever pronoun you want. But I'm using she today for two reasons. First, for me, uh, it rounds out a God who is in some fundamental, beyond our comprehension way, above gender, bigger than gender. Second, I think it helps us here in a new way. Anytime something is described differently than you had expected, maybe even described in a way that you would resist, our ears open. And that's the goal every time we come before scripture, right? As Presbyterians, we sometimes chant, our ears are open before the scripture is read. Every time we come into these pews, into these chairs, into this sanctuary, we want to hear the word spoken to us as though it's the first time. Now that approach to scripture is especially hard on a day like today if you've been coming to church for five or 15 or even 50 years, you've heard the Pentecost story before. The same story on the same day every year. The story of the early church receiving the Holy Spirit. A day and a story that can feel rooted in the past. We enjoy the story of what happened without realizing necessarily how the story continues. The way the same chaotic spirit continues her redemptive work among us today. Here. Maybe calling Pentecost the church's birthday exacerbates that sense, separates the then from the now. I'm thinking of birthdays lately because uh, Friday was my younger son's birthday. He turned one. So I can pretty much let him raise himself at this point is what I, what I understand. <laughs> His actual birthday, the day that he was born, was a little like Pentecost for me. It was chaotic. A miracle happened. Unlike those gathered in Jerusalem that day, this was a miracle that I'd actually prepared for, but it still caught me totally off guard. But on Friday, when we commemorated that day, we only remembered the story. I didn't have my son a second time. We remembered the miracle. It didn't recur. The Holy Spirit is different. She didn't just act once. She doesn't just act annually. She's always acting. The story that we read today is the beginning of a pattern that continues through to the present. Through the Spirit, the activity of God is always being born. I think most of us agree that that's true, that the Spirit is at work within each of us right now. 
but we're not always exactly sure what it looks like. We're not always mindful of it, not always able to detect it, let alone give ourselves over to it. Right now, I work as operations director for Renewal Ministries Northwest, as Chris mentioned, a Christian nonprofit based in Mill Creek. One of the best parts of that job is that I come to work every day and think about the spirit at work in our ministry, through it, and all around it. There is a lot happening in the church right now. A lot of congregations are finding that the way they used to do things don't work as well as they used to. This isn't a new revelation, but one that has taken some time to come to terms with. And a lot of Christians are trying new ways of doing church. The results are all over the map. In fact, some characterize this moment in the life of the church as a a Pentecost-like one. We're on the brink or in the midst of what scholar Phyllis Tickle once called the great emergence. Every 500 years ago, if every, every 500 years or so, Tickle says, the spirit comes in and cleans house, tears down old structures that are tired and not working anymore, uh, upsets the church's patterns and expectations. God is always up to something brand new, something fresh. And when we feel the spirit at work in this way, we had better buckle up because it's going to happen with us or in spite of us. At Renewal Ministries, I like to say we help people listen to God. We do the work of discernment, and we do that in a variety of ways. We do spiritual direction, either one-on-one, individually, or, um, or with couples. We also facilitate prayer and teaching retreats, and we sometimes help whole communities hear what God is calling them to next. And that part of our ministry is the one that's, that's growing rapidly in this season of the church. A lot of communities of faith aren't sure what's next. And in times of turbulence and uncertainty, waiting on the Lord can feel counterintuitive. So we help through our process of communal discernment. One of the biggest aspects of that work is just creating space to notice. Space to notice the spirit who is there, who has always been there, who is at work in the life of the church and has been since the first Pentecost. Because we're not, we're not always good, I think, at creating that space. I'm not always good at creating space just to listen to God, just to be with God, to wait on God. And I'm not talking about the study of scripture or even formal poetic prayers, just waiting, just listening. One of the aspects of my faith that I lean on more and more is that as much as we want to hear God, God wants to be heard even more. How do we create space to listen to the Spirit? Maybe part of it is giving ourselves the right physical space, finding a place to uh, reflect, a place where we feel separate from the distractions and concerns that follow us through daily life. Part of it is giving ourselves time to listen. I think another part, though, is making space in the way that we think. Making space in our minds for the magic of God. We are hyper-rational people. I'm always trying to explain things, to understand things. When something outside my realm of human experience happens to me, I shoehorn it into the most logical framework. I find that I can dismiss a lot of providential things in my life as coincidence. 
to make space for the spirit, we have to break out of that mindset. Rationality is, is great, but we live in a universe beyond our comprehension, ordered by a God whose power is beyond the limits of our minds. We don't know all the rules. And if we assume that the universe always follows the rules, we will get it wrong. When I think about making room for the spirit in my mind, I think about magical realism. Magical realism is a literary genre. Its stories present a realistic view of the real world, but they also reveal magical elements. Maybe when you were in school, you read like Water for Chocolate or 100 Years of Solitude. Those are both great examples of magical realism. It's different from fantasy in that it's grounded in the realistic world. So maybe for the first few pages or even the first few chapters, you don't know that there's going to be anything magical at all. But then, suddenly, with a torn sky or a rush of holy wind, we realize this isn't the world we're used to. This isn't all going to make sense. This is a world where crazy, impossible, chaotic things can happen. Because through God, all things are possible. The scriptures in which we believe contain magical realism that is real, that is the truth. There's an order to things, to our lives, until there isn't. The spirit interrupts and overwhelms, simmers and flashes episodically, sporadically, in such a way that we could probably dismiss as coincidence if we tried. But when we do try, when we try to explain away some otherworldly thing that's happened in our lives, we strip that event or that thing of its power. We aren't listening. I'll give you an example, an example from my life. I have a friend. This is really my friend. This is not about me. Uh, we became friends providentially. She's been doing mission for the last decade or so uh, in Europe, but she moved to Seattle recently. And we have tea almost every Monday. Uh, another pastor linked us up, and she sort of started inviting herself over, and it's been wonderful. For the past three months, she's come over for tea. She'll come over tomorrow, and uh, she's quickly become a dear friend of mine. She tolerates my kids in a way that immediately endeared me to her. She's full of experience and wisdom. And recently, she told me that she can sense evil. Sometimes, not all the time, not regularly, she gets a sense of darkness in the air. Once she sensed a death that was about to happen to someone who was ill. And I'll be honest with you, if this friend had said those words to me before we were friends, if she had just knocked on my door and told me that sometimes she felt dark energy, I would have thought she was nuts. I would have. Maybe you're less skeptical, but I would have thought she was nuts. I wouldn't have absorbed anything that she said. But we are friends. And I know her to be, to be a faithful follower of Christ, a believer, and I heard her. And in a Pentecost-like moment, I wondered, what other gifts of the Spirit have been misunderstood or dismissed? Do I have a gift of the Spirit that I've dismissed, that I've explained away or refused to acknowledge? As Paul writes to the Corinthians, there are many, many gifts from the same Spirit of God. And each gift is given for the common good. We're all given something to do that shows who God is. And I would say now, I'll add to my list of ways that I feel the Spirit, the music that you have here in this space, 
that deep, mysterious language of music. There's almost certainly a Pentecost sermon there, and I bet John has preached it. But another way that I'm acutely aware of the work of the Spirit is through the sermons of my own, through writing and preaching, and hearing what you heard me say. I've heard other pastors talk about the same phenomenon, the same magic. People come up to you after the sermon and they say, I really liked it or it really meant something to me when you said this. Except I never said that. (laughs) As on the morning of the first Pentecost, people hear something other than what's being said. The Spirit is at work both in my speaking and in your hearing. And my prayer every time I stand up before a group of you like this is that you would hear something meant just for you. Something beyond my study, beyond my thoughts and preparation. Something the Spirit has chosen just for you and brings just to you. Of course, you'd have to be listening. If you want to know where the Spirit is in your own life, you have to listen and you have to be open. Like water for chocolate has nothing on the work of the Spirit. In our reading from Acts this morning, the Spirit rushed in, as promised, and shows herself in an unexpected but undeniable way. Even then, some folks on the periphery try to rationalize it. Perhaps they reason these folks are just drunk. But Peter steps up to declare that these believers are not drunk. What they say is inspired by the Spirit, just as the prophet Joel foretold. Some see Pentecost as a sort of bookend opposite the Tower of Babel. A confusion of tongues at the Tower has given way to a miraculous understanding. Babel has become intelligible, better yet, the gospel. Again, the gift of the Spirit here is not only in the apostles' speech, but in the crowd's hearing. That brings me to my final point this morning. We need Pentecost. 2,000 years ago, when the Spirit first exploded on the scene, a great equalizing happened. The world was turned upside down. The Spirit rushed over everyone, young and old, male and female, slave and free. Many different languages became, in some meaningful sense, one word of God. A tapestry of so many different kinds of people. No translation was needed. The Spirit brought that day a revolution in its revelation, blowing down barriers and burning down walls that we erected out of broken humanity. Walls that separate people by geography, uh, culture, race, political party, and language. Pentecost is a miracle of community. Through the Spirit, strangers became brothers and sisters. Many became one. But today, we we protect the walls that we have built, and we plan for more. There are so many divisions among us between uh, baby boomers and millennials. Maybe I'm just talking about my own family dinner table. Uh, Republicans and Democrats, white and black. This week, another teenager saw enemies and his classmates, and shot them where they go to school. This week, a building, an embassy, moved, and we saw God's children killing each other over a human border. We say, in a time such as this, come, Holy Spirit, come. Set the world on fire. 2,000 years ago, the Spirit made a mockery 
of the barriers that separate us. And the astonished people came together as the church. We need that spirit today. Amen.